Global family, it's time once again to break open the Word of God and to share God's revelation with you. I'm excited to go into the book of Luke, the Gospel according to St. Luke, where we're learning about the humanity of Jesus Christ. We're focusing on the fact that He is a priestly and a praying man. And in this Gospel, we're going to dig up what it truly means to be human. He's going to show us through parables, through a life of prayer, what it is to be a human being, how not to be inhumane, but how to be who God has created us. And listen, starting from the very first chapter all the way to the end of this gospel, we're going to see the, the importance and the power of prayer, beginning with the Levitical priest, Zachariah, whose job is to burn incense in the temple. And while he is burning incense, the people are praying all the way through chapter number 18, where Jesus gives us what I would call his mantra for the gospel. For men ought always to pray and not to faint. Listen, if we're humans, God has called us to prayer. And what is that you may ask? It is a communicative relationship with God. It's speaking to our Father on a daily basis as a lifestyle. On to the very end of the Gospel of Luke, from the cross, Jesus prays. And that's what priests do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It reminds me of Yom Kippur, when the high priest would enter into the sanctuary on behalf of the nation to seek forgiveness for their sins. And just like a good priest, a true human being, Jesus is focused on praying, even for those who are considered his enemies. So let's go down into this gospel and let's see how we can become better human beings, better people, giving better expression to who God has created us to be. I think it's important that I remind you of the author of the gospel. I told you last time that Luke is a physician. He is in fact no different than your family doctor. And who better to pen the gospel of the humanity of Jesus Christ than a physician? And perhaps the Holy Spirit is leading us to understand that by using a physician, he is an apt person to diagnose the challenges, the maladies, the sicknesses that are found in our fallen humanity. The Gospel of Luke is like reading a chart from our family doctor as he diagnoses our situation. And so we're going to be reading the words of someone that has spent time with Jesus, looking at him through the eyes, or should I say through medical eyes, to let us know that we're sick, but he's documenting the one who's brought us healing. And the other thing that I want to show you before we look at some parables that focus on our humanity, I want to show you how Luke joins Jesus with our humanity. If you look at chapter number three, beginning at verse 23, Luke introduces the genealogy of Jesus by suggesting to us that he was 30 years old when he arrived at the Jordan, as was supposed the son of Joseph. And the importance of recognizing his age, Luke is trying to remind us that in the Old Testament, specifically the book of Numbers, 30 was the age in which priests joined the priesthood. And so he's giving a subtle hint that Jesus is ready now to begin his priestly ministry. And he ties him in chapter number three from verse 
23 all the way to verse 38. He ties him to the lineage of Adam. As I told you last time, Luke's genealogy goes backwards. He takes Jesus down through the ages and ties him to Adam, who was the son of God. And by tying Jesus to Adam, he joins him to our humanity. And perhaps the greater lesson that Luke is teaching, it is a lesson of unity, that humanity is designed to live in community or in common unity. Luke is going to teach us that to be human is to live in community. We are not designed to live in isolation and we are certainly not designed to live in a divisive or a divided state. God has put us together as one. And so by taking Jesus through the lineage of Adam, he begins to show us that through Adam, humanity is in fact one seed. And I emphasize this in our last message, that we are not a compilation of many races. We're in fact one family coming from one seed, having one lineage. And Luke is the author of the book of Acts. And he reminds us again in the words of the apostle Paul, Acts 17 verse 26, by one blood, hath God created all people to live on the planet. And I want us to embrace that. Part of understanding our true humanity is understanding that God has created us to live in unity and that we are in fact one family through Adam. And thus we're connected to Jesus Christ who has been connected to our genealogy. The other thing that I think is important is by connecting Jesus to Adam and to our humanity, Luke is suggesting that if Adam had a challenge in the beginning, then we all have the same challenge. Another way of putting that is because we're one seed, we're also in one situation. We're all suffering from the same situation. And that is clear. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 22. In Adam, our seed, our father, our lineage, all died. It's important for us to embrace that. Whatever his struggles were in that garden and that sin that he committed, it has become our legacy. No one is somehow exonerated from Adamic sin because we are one seed, we have one situation. And then Luke throws into his narrative, the shepherds to remind us that because we are one seed, having one situation, then guess what? We all share the same story. And that story is simple. All we like sheep, and that's who we are. We're God's sheep. We're the sheep of his pasture and all we like sheep, we have gone astray. Every single one of us, because of sin, we have gone astray. But here is the beautiful thing about it. By unifying Jesus to our humanity, Luke is suggesting that the one seed being in the one situation, sharing the one story, guess what? We now have one solution. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and let's finish verse number 22. In Adam, all died. Well, guess what? In Jesus Christ, all shall be made alive. And I want to pause in this moment. I want to speak directly to you. And I want to let you know if you're watching this and you're not a believer and you think that your life is lost or it's going in the wrong direction, I want you to know that Jesus has joined himself 
with our humanity and he has offered us the life of God. And all you have to do is simply receive him into your life and begin experiencing, begin walking out the life that Jesus has brought to this planet. Remember, he said in these words, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So now we're going to continue our stories in the gospel of Luke because each narrative, each parable in the gospel of Luke is designed to highlight something about our humanity. It doesn't matter what the parable is, what the story is, what the narrative is. Luke's focus is on teaching us something about our humanity. I want to look at several parables, a few narratives to show you the emphasis on what true humanity should be. The first one, and we spoke about this last time, is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And in this particular story, Luke chapter 10, this wonderful story of, about who is my neighbor. Luke identifies the role of compassion in our humanity. You see, I can say this today. It is almost inconceivable for us to be human and not be compassionate. And so Luke shares his story through the mouth of Jesus. It is a parable. It's, it's designed to teach a truth. And he says, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, and they beat him, and they wounded him, and they left him half dead. Can I ask you to get into the narrative with me and put your mind into that story? Can you imagine if you were walking one day on the street and you saw a fellow human being laying half dead? What would you do? And what you did, would it be a reflection of your humanity. Well, the story continues like this. A certain Levite, and it's an indictment because the Levite works in the temple, works in the ministry, we would say today, doing the service of God. Well, as it happens, a certain Levite was walking that way. And when he saw the man laying there, bleeding, wounded and half dead, the Bible states that he walked on the other side. Now, listen, we cannot say that we're humans walking in compassion and see people suffering and sidestep their issues. That is an indication that there is something wrong with our humanity. And the indictment is, it is not expected that the Levite, one who is in the presence of God, would have sidestepped the issues that are hurting humanity. I hope you hear me reading layers into the text. And after the Levite, a priest, of a higher level, whereas the Levite was doing the service of the altar, the service of the tabernacle, the priest was actually the one offering the sacrifices on behalf of others, praying, changing the incense in relationship with God. And when the priest saw him, the priest did a little better than the Levite. He came near to him, looked on him, and then he continued. And watch this, again, a reflection of our humanity. Can you imagine seeing someone in that condition, going over, gazing upon them, looking on them, and then continuing on your journey? It says something about our humanity. But along comes the third person, a Samaritan. And here is the distinction between the Levite and the priest. 
You would not expect this of the Samaritan, one who's not in the temple, one who's not before the presence of God, as we would refer to it. The Samaritan draws near to him and with compassion begins to apply medicinal agents, oil and wine into his wounds, takes him and places him on his own beast and transports him to the inn. And at the inn, the Samaritan pays for his stay and leaves enough just in case he needs to stay some more days. And the question is, which one of these demonstrated true humanity? Which one of these men walked in compassion? Because you see, to be compassionate is truly to be human. And I'm going to come back to this at the end of the presentation when we list characteristics elements of our humanity that we must recover and restore, especially in this age in which we're living. There's some other stories, parables, that emphasize the importance of humanity. If you move over to chapter number 15, there are three critical stories that point to the importance of compassion. The first story, the shepherd having 100 sheep and losing one sheep. The woman having 10 pieces of coin, of coins and losing one piece and searching all night until she finds it. And the father who has two sons and one leaving the home and is lost and desiring to return home. And in all of those stories, Luke is focusing on the importance of compassion. It is compassion for the one sheep that moves the shepherd to go and search for the one, and we've used the expression, leaving the 90 and nine, going after the one. And I'm gonna explain in a moment why the shepherd does what he does. It is compassion that moves the woman who loses the one piece of silver coin to go and search all night until she finds that one piece. And it is compassion that moves a father, though he's been wounded by the decisions of his son. He stands day and night at the door looking for his son to return. And the day that he glimpses his son in the distance, the Bible says he moves with compassion. He runs to meet his son. He falls upon him and he engages in an ancient custom of kissing his neck and instructing the servants to get out the best robe, to kill a fatted calf. My son who was dead is alive and he's back home. What is it that they recognize in each of those parables? Well, can I tell you this? What's important to the shepherd, what's important to the woman, and what's important to the father is the value of that which they have lost. They recognize value, value in the one sheep, value in the one coin, and value in the one son. And whenever we recognize the value of each person, it will move us to compassion. Whenever we devalue each other, don't recognize that every single person has value. We will fail to move with compassion because we will say, ah, it's not worth it. They're of no significance. But when we remember that we're from one seed, one family, being in one situation, having one savior, each person in the image of God. It doesn't matter your economic status. It doesn't matter what neighborhood you live in. It's one family coming from one seed in the same situation, having one savior and one solution. It will move us to compassion on those who are in the lowest of state and those who may find themselves 
in the highest of states because compassion is to be human and to be human is to be compassionate. The next story that I want to show you, another parable is found in Luke chapter 13. This is the parable of the fig tree that somehow cannot produce fruit. And I'm not talking about the fig tree now in the other gospels that Jesus curses. That's another story. In the other gospels, Jesus is going from the temple back to his lodging and he sees a fig tree and he curses that fig tree. This is not the same story. This is a parable about a certain man that has planted a fig tree and he comes after three years expecting to find fruit on the fig tree and seeing no fruit on the fig tree, he turns to the vine dresser and he says, why is this tree encumbering the ground? Let us cut it down, plant something else. But the vine dresser says something else. He says, no, my Lord, allow me to cultivate around it. Let me fertilize it a little bit more and give it some time. And let's come back again next year and see if it won't produce fruit. And if at that time it doesn't, then we can cut it down. What is Luke focusing on now that's relative to our humanity? Let me suggest you that Luke is actually focusing on the importance of correction. He is suggesting that because we're human, it is okay for us to correct each other. And it is also okay for us to receive correction. Remember, we're all in the same situation. We have common challenges. We're all faced with the same plight. And because we're in the same situation, we should be open to correcting each other. And we ourselves should be open to correction. Now, let me pause here because we're living in an age where we are afraid to correct each other. And by not correcting each other, we're letting anything go. We're simply saying that tolerance is what's needed in our society. But can I suggest to you that the presence of tolerance in many cases is the absence of love. It is us loving people secretly when the Bible instructs us that open rebuke at times is better than secret love. And sometimes our failure to say to someone, hey, I think that decision is not the best decision. Hey, I think that choice is not the right choice. We're living below our humanity. Let me prove this to you. I want to show you that because Jesus loves us, he corrects us. If you go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 11, you will see that those whom the father loves, he corrects. The King James word is chastens. In other words, he corrects us because he loves us. And correction in most cases is an indication that there is the presence of love. And sometimes when we're being corrected, it doesn't feel good. But I want you to know this. The Bible continues by teaching us this, that though it doesn't feel good in the present, if you allow correction to take its course, it will yield. Notice this, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And so part of our humanity is a willingness to correct each other. And when Jesus corrects us, what he's doing is he's honing all that God has placed within us, those gifts that need to be sharpened. He's actually making us better and he's healing us. That's why the Bible states in the book of Proverbs that faithful are the wounds 
of a friend. Now, I know I just did a series on paying attention to your wounds, but this is a completely different type of wounding. When a friend cuts you, he cuts you to heal you. When a friend wounds you, he wounds you because he cares about you. And in wounding you, he can bring you to life again. And so as human beings, I want us to embrace this. I don't want us to be brash. I don't want us to walk around with billy clubs beating each other over the heads, but I want us to be ready at all times to correct each other, to guide each other. And as we are correcting each other, I want us to be open to being corrected ourselves. And listen, if we fertilize the tree, if we cultivate around its roots, this time next year, it will yield fruit and not be cut down. The next story that I want to take you through is Jesus' experience in Gethsemane. His night of prayer on the eve of his crucifixion. Luke documents it a little different than the other gospel writers because Luke goes down from a medical position into what's really going on. Can I suggest to you in the psyche, in the mind, in the spirit of Jesus on the night before his crucifixion. And I want to show you that Luke emphasizes the importance of empathy as being human. What he's really showing us there is that Jesus, by going through what he has gone through, he can now empathize with us when we're going through our lowest moments, our darkest moments. And can I suggest to you that when we're going through our most challenging circumstances, here's what Luke says. Luke says, when he enters the garden, he falls upon his knees and he begins to pray. We know that it's night. So he's at his darkest moment. Night is there literally, but it's actually a metaphor for the moment in which he is in. And as he's walking through this dark moment, Luke says, angels come to minister to him. And I want to let you know that when you are in your darkest moments, that's when God dispatches angelic presence all around you. And that strength that you feel in that moment, those are angels ministering unto you. But over and above the presence of angels, I want you to know, especially in your darkest moments, that when you're walking through those times, Jesus knows what it is that you're feeling because he himself has walked through those dark times. He can feel what you're feeling. He knows what you're going through in that moment and that should empower your prayer. And I'm gonna give you a scripture in a moment to prove to you that he knows in your darkest moments what you're going through. And I want you not to feel forsaken just because you may not feel him. I want you to lean on faith because faith sometimes isn't relegated to how you feel. You may not feel any chills on your body. You may not feel any goosebumps, but I want you to know this for a fact. He said, I will not leave you, nor will I forsake you. I want you to know this for a fact. The angel of the Lord encamps around the people of God and is strengthening us in our darkest moments. But Luke continues the narrative and Luke says that as he is praying his sweat, he is praying now an intense prayer that causes him to begin to perspire and his sweat becomes as though it were great drops of blood. Now Luke says that he is in agony. And I want you to know that Jesus feels the pain that you feel when you're walking through these challenging times. He can be touched 
by the feelings of our infirmities. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15. And that pain that you might be feeling at times, he knows what that is. But let me go one step further. If a man's sweat changes to blood, it's an indication of transition. That means changes are going on in his, can I say, his literal makeup. But it speaks to the changes that you and I can be going through. Those challenging moments of change and transition. But we are confident that because he has walked that journey, he has actually stood where we're standing. He's felt what we're feeling. He can be touched. So now we can come watch boldly to the throne of grace. Jesus can empathize. And because he can empathize with us, he can share in our pathos, our pathology, our pain, we should also be able to empathize with those who are walking through. This all testifies to our humanity. When you see someone going through a dark moment, what does it do within you? How are you prompted to move on their behalf? Do you feel what they're feeling? Listen, the absence of feeling what others is feeling is a revelation about your humanity. And if you don't feel when you see others going through hardship, let's go back to the Lord again and let's ask him, Father, I need you to adjust my humanity because I want to be able to empathize with people in their darkest moments. And the final story that I want to bring to your attention is the moment that Jesus hangs from the cross. And I would like you to read that sometime in Luke chapter 23. He is up on the cross being crucified. And Luke instructs us that two criminals are beside him, one on his left, another on his right. The term is malefactors. These are criminals that deserve to be on that cross. And while Jesus is on the cross, listening to the words of the criminals, one man shouting in his ear, Take us down if you be the son of God. What are you doing up here? Bring us down and then deliver us. Another man saying calmly and in a very soothing way, shh, we justly deserve what we're going through. He has done nothing. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But before Jesus can respond to him, he looks over his audience, his enemies, his crucifiers, his accusers, and he prays this prayer. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's now acting as a priest. In fact, he's acting like the high priest for the nation, as I told you, on Yom Kippur. He's both being the sacrifice and he's being the priest. He's covering their sins, even those who are crucifying him. And what is he teaching us? The importance of forgiveness. Can I say this as one of the highest qualities of our humanity? You see, to be human is to forgive. And I want you to get that. To be human is to forgive. To be inhumane is to be malicious and unforgiving. It is only in the gospel of Luke that a criminal is ushered into paradise that day. Whatever your theology is, deathbed conversion, we don't have to teach that. But what we can teach is forgiveness opens the door to possibilities. And in fact, what it does is forgiveness allows us to go back to a state of giving as we used to give before. To forgive means to give 
as we used to give before there was an incident, before there was an action, anything happened. Forgiveness allows us to go back there. And listen, the reason why it's important for us to understand the power of forgiveness, it is because we are all in the same situation. If we're all in the same situation, it becomes easy for us to forgive because your challenges are my challenges and your faults are my faults and your failures are my failures. Didn't the Bible say all have sinned? Romans 3, 23, and come short of the glory of God. If we've all sinned, we're all in need of forgiveness. And if we've received forgiveness, we should be the first ones to offer forgiveness. And let me conclude by saying this, to forgive is actually humility. Because we have been forgiven, we should be humble enough to forgive others. And thus Luke presents Jesus in his humanity, the one who heals us and draws us closer to our humanity. I want to repeat again, and we're going to put this on the screen for you. These are some of the qualities that emphasize our true humanity. And I want you to know that the journey of Christianity is not a journey of coming to a service. It's not a journey of attending church, as we call it, but rather it is a journey into our true humanity into our true self, and the Gospel of Luke shows us how to do that. Let's begin here. Number one, to be human is to live in community. It is not to live in disunity. Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And I want to say this to the body of Christ. We should not sacrifice our unity for theological distinctions. We should not desire to be theologically distinct at the expense of our humanity, at the expense of our unity. Rather, what we can say is that we can agree to disagree until we get more revelation on what we don't agree on. But our unity, we will not compromise. Number two, to be human is to be compassionate. It comes from a compound word, common pathos. It means to share in each other's pathology, in each other's sufferings. Compassionate. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Every priest that goes before God is taken from men, so that he or she may offer to God for men. And in that way, they can be touched because they are compassed about by the same issues. And so to be human is to be compassionate. Number three, to be human is to be corrected. I want you to get that. We should be free to correct each other and we should be free to be corrected. And by doing that, Proverbs 27 and verse 17 will come alive in our lives Iron will sharpen iron. You see, when I correct you and you correct me, we make each other sharper. Our correction is not designed to tear each other down. It's designed to lift us and to sharpen us. And that's why when we correct each other, let us remember to correct each other in love, speaking the truth to each other in love so that we can lift each other and edify each other. Number four, to be human is to be empathetic, to be in each other's pain. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. I want you to get this. 
we too should be able to be touched by the feelings of each other's infirmities, as Jesus can be touched by our infirmities. And so to be human is to feel what others feel. It's to walk where they walk. And you know the story changes whenever you walk in my shoes or I walk in your shoes. And lastly, let's hold on to this. To be human is to be forgiven. Matthew 6 and verse 12. What can I say here? To be human is simply to let it go. It doesn't matter what people have done to you. It doesn't matter what they've done to me. Can I instruct you on this one? Just let it go. That is the essence of the Lord's Prayer. Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Simply let it go. Turn it over to God and let Him heal it. Because by doing that, you're testifying about your humanity. And so I close the Gospel of Luke with hopes that we're becoming better human beings, that we're delving now into what it truly means to be human. And so the Jesus of Luke is the human that we need. The Jesus of Luke is the priest that we need. The Jesus of Luke is the praying man or woman that we need. And what we need today are more people like Jesus. Can I encourage someone that's watching in a remote part of the world? Jesus has come and he's revealed to us our true self. Put your footsteps in his footsteps. Put your words in his words and align your actions with him and watch God show you your true humanity. I'm inviting you to join me next time. I'm going to open the Gospel of John. Remember, we've gone through the King. We've seen the servant. We watched the human being. Now let's go and visit the God of our salvation, the Word made flesh dwelling among us. But until then, and for the remainder of the week, I want you to walk in true humanity, in the dignity of your true self, by the grace of God, being compassionate, being empathetic, being forgiving, and open to correction, and allow God to remind you that you are created in the image and in the likeness of a perfect God. And so the blessing of God rests upon you as we walk together in unity as brothers and sisters, one family, glorifying God in Jesus' name. And as I always say, in whatever part of the world you're watching, join me in agreement by saying amen and amen. It shall be so in Jesus' name. I love you and I'll see you next time.